0: We will now be reading from our scripture passage for the day, which is Galatians 6, 11 through 18. If you want to take a moment and turn there. Again, this is Galatians six eleven to 18. So listen now to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever.
1: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we have opportunity to gather together today, and we ask that You would, as we we approach Your Word, that You would come and make Yourself known, that You would give us a great humble confidence with which to approach Your Word, that You would... Keep us humble, knowing that we are Your creatures, but that You would fill us at the same time with great confidence, because when You open Your mouth to speak, You call the whole world into being, the whole universe into being. When You opened Your mouth to speak, when Your Son walked this earth, He spoke to the dead, and they were raised to life, to the blind, and they received their sight to the deaf, and they were made to hear to the lame, and they were made to get up and walk. And Father, we pray that Your voice would awaken us this morning, that Your voice would lift us and give us eyes to see our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. So break some bad news to you at the very beginning that I forgot to announce at the beginning, but we do not have children's church this morning uh, because it's uh, a holiday weekend and we try to give our our workers in children's church a break. So, parents, uh, sorry. Um, (laughs) It's tough. Um, Anyway, we'll be back on track next week. Um, So, here we are in Galatians chapter 6, and in verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul wrote, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, right? Uh, Paul had most likely been discussing um, or been dictating his letter, this letter, to his friends the Galatians, uh, but at the very close of his letter, he grabbed the pen For himself, right? He grabbed the pen for himself because he wanted to be sure that these friends of his, that they understood and they knew how passionate Paul was for them, but not only for them, also for the truth of what he wrote to them. You see, Paul had gone through this area called Galatia, and he had planted these churches. And after Paul left, some Christian missionary, er, some Jewish Christian missionaries moved in, and they basically came in, and they basically said something like this, the, go- the gospel that Paul taught you was, it was fine as far as that went, um, but it was incomplete. He didn't, he didn't quite give you the whole picture or the whole truth. They were saying, yes, you need to trust in Jesus, but that's not enough you know, Paul watered it down for you, they were saying. Uh, If you really want to be accepted as God's dearly loved children, if you want to be sure that God loves you and that He is pleased with you and that He accepts you, then there are some other rules that you need to follow as well, Uh, rules like circumcision and certain dietary laws uh, and and others. And listen, to us, hardly anything sounds more… irrelevant to us than a first-century debate over circumcision, which is kind of what Galatians was, right? But that's only until you realize all the ways you and I say, "Um, Jesus, yeah, I get that, Um, but if I really want God to love me and be happy with me and pleased with me, then I need to fix this in my life, and I need to stop that, and I need to get this right, and those things. And so, Paul wrote this letter to say, for you to be a Christian, right, uh, that is for you to be assured that you are completely and entirely loved by God, that you are His dearly loved children, that He is pleased with you, and He is beaming in favor over you. For for that, you need just one thing, and one thing only, Paul said. All you need is Jesus. And if you try to add one little rule to that, if you try to add one little thing to that, then you're going to miss the good news of the gospel entirely. Now, could a letter written in the first century um, talking about circumcision really make that much of a difference. Um, in the 1700s, there was a little group of friends that God used to spark a revival that led to the conversion of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and ultimately changed the face of Western civilization. And historians call the, this movement the Great Awakening, right? And you might even recognize some of the names. Uh, John Wesley. He was converted when a friend of his named William Holland was reading out loud Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, where Luther was explaining with great clarity the good news of the gospel that is in Jesus alone. And he got converted. But a little less known piece of history um, is that one week prior to this, William Holland himself was converted when Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, was reading Martin Luther's preface to his commentary on the book of Galatians where Luther was commenting on the good news of the gospel that all you need is Jesus and and, and listen like dynamite right This good news, it exploded into their lives and it radically transformed them. Uh, If you read their stories, you will know that this good news that was proclaimed in this letter of Paul's to the Galatians, it changed individual lives, but it didn't stop there. It changed societies and it changed cultures and it changed civilizations. There is, there is dynamite in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we've been in this series now for, this is the 23rd week. It's a little sad for me to say goodbye to this letter, but also I'm excited to get on to the next thing. But listen, we need to listen to this good news. We need to let this news deal with us because Paul is saying in this letter that it can take us to deeper depths of peace than we ever imagined that it can lift us to higher heights of joy than we ever dreamed possible, that it can both quiet our consciences and cause our hearts to burst forth in song at the same time as we discover or even we rediscover why this gospel is good news. And so, let's give our attention one final time this morning to Paul's letter to the Galatians uh, in these last last remaining verses in chapter 6. And I want to share with you three things, these three things, why the gospel is offensive or why it offends, and who the gospel is for, and finally, what the gospel does. So first, why the gospel offends. See, Paul wrote and explained in verse 12 and 13 why these false teachers were saying more is needed than simply believing in Jesus. Um, Why the end of verse 12, in order that they may not be persecuted, for the cross of Christ. And why would people be persecuted for the cross of Christ? Because there is something deeply offensive about the cross of Jesus. Um, the cross stands against any and every scheme of self-salvation and pride. It stands completely opposed to any idea that you could do anything to earn or merit the smile and the favor of God. Right, You think about the offense of the cross. It says, this is how broken you are. How utterly and completely sinful you are. How, how bent and how distorted and how twisted your heart actually is. For you to be redeemed and to be accepted in God's sight, nothing less than the death of God Himself would do. Nothing less than the gruesome, bloody death of His Son on the cross would do to redeem you listen, that's only a part of the offense. See, down in verse 15, Paul wrote, "...for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision." And Paul was saying something like this, no matter what you think your righteousness might be, it doesn't count. It's good for nothing. It doesn't matter. It's actually part of the offense." Listen, see, every major world religion out there basically has some kind of way to repent of sins. But Christianity is unique in the world because Christianity goes a step further than that. And Christianity says for you to be a Christian, you don't just need to repent of your sin, but you also need to repent of your righteousness. That's how offensive the cross of Christ is. Christianity says you can't come to Jesus unless you have nothing. And that is something very few of us have. Right? A, a, few, a few weeks ago, I was talking with someone about his objections to Christianity, and this person said, I can't believe in something so exclusive as this. Um, and he offered this argument. He said, my dad is the best. He's the most moral and good person I know. I can't believe in anything that says just because he doesn't trust, trust in Jesus, he won't be saved and that God won't love him. It, the cross is deeply offensive. To come to Jesus, you have to come with nothing but the outstretched and empty hand of a beggar, right? You have to let go of whatever you think your righteousness is in order to grab hold of Jesus. David Dixon was a Scottish elder in the 16th and 17th centuries, and he put it well in that quote on the front of your bulletin when he said, I have taken my good deeds and my bad deeds, and I've thrown them in a heap, and I have fled from both of them to Christ, and in Him I have peace. Listen. When I was getting ready to uh, to propose to my wife Jennifer, I visited a lot of jewelry stores, uh, you know, looking for that perfect ring. And in every store that I went in, went into, the routine was exactly the same. And I must have gone into a dozen of these stores, right? And I would say to the person working behind the counter, I would say, I want to look at that ring right there uh, underneath the glass. And so this person would say, okay, he'd get out his keys to unlock the cabinet, but he'd pull out this black piece of velvet, and he would set it on the top, and then he would fish out the ring below, and he would place it on on this piece of black velvet. Routine was the same every jewelry store I went to. Um, and, And you know why, That was the routine, right? Because that diamond, the beauty of that diamond and the brilliance of that diamond, it really shines and it really pops against that dark backdrop, right? And I don't want to be insensitive in in any of my comments this morning, and I don't want to make light of the offense of the cross because it really is offensive, and and I get that struggle. But listen, the good news of the gospel, it only pops it only shines brilliantly and beautifully, and it only makes sense against the dark backdrop of our brokenness and our sin, this bad news. That's what causes it to shine so brilliantly and beautifully. See, many of us, I think, we stop at the offense of the cross, and we never get past it to the diamond, right? But what if you could go through the offense, right? Could you… Could you even maybe from this distance begin to see it sparkle? Because look, if this is true, if what Paul is saying here is true, that this then this is the only truth. This is the only truth that could really work in your life to root out the arrogant, insecure self-righteousness and pride in our hearts. Right? And if this is true, hopefully you can begin to catch hints of its freedom. If you can't and won't ever be accepted on your merits, That does sting your pride, but it also sets you free. It's the beginning of very real freedom in your life, because it spells the death of the meritocracy that says, we have to achieve, and we have to become, and we have to get approved by all of our performances. Now, I've got to move on, but listen, the road to the sweetness, the freedom, the glory, and the beauty of the gospel, Paul is saying, it goes through the offense of the cross, Don't stop at the offense of the cross, but continue on to the good news of the gospel and let it deal with you. Okay, second, I want to talk about who the gospel is for. And before I really get to my main point here, I do want to say one thing. I want to say this. If you're not a believer this morning, if you're not a Christian this morning, um, this good news is most definitely for you. Because this good news, it doesn't say… You need to wait until you fix or clean up your life. It meets you right where you are. It meets you in your brokenness. It meets us in our fallenness, in our shame, and in our guilt, and in our doubts, and in our confusion. See, pause. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. Neither counts for anything. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've begin, been. It only matters who Jesus is. It only matters where He's been. It only matters what He has done for you through the cross. And so the gospel bids you to come as you are. With nothing in your hand, this gospel is for you. But having said that, what I want to talk, talk to you for a moment about in this point is what is truly fascinating about Paul's letter to the Galatians, because his whole letter was written to say that the gospel isn't just the way you become a Christian, the gospel is also the way you live the Christian life. In other words, the gospel is for believers, Paul is saying in Galatians. The gospel is for Christians. The gospel Paul is writing in this letter, he's saying it isn't the ABCs of the Christian life. right? And once you master those ABCs, you're on, you're on to more advanced things. Paul was saying the gospel isn't the ABCs. He was saying it is the A to Z. It is everything. Paul wrote in verse 14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying the gospel is for me. He's saying I will never get beyond the gospel to something else. It's not just how you become a Christian. It's how you live the Christian life. It's it's the way the gospel shapes you. Listen, let me put it to you this way. The goal of the Christian life A seminary professor of mine used to say it like this, the goal of the Christian life is never to get past the cross, but to only go deeper and deeper into the cross. You have to keep coming back under the offense of the gospel that nothing less than the death of the Son of God could redeem you. But you also have to keep coming back under the wonder of the gospel, right? That God Himself loved you so much that He was gladly and willing to lay down His life for you. And see how that humbles you on the one hand, but it also lifts you up on the other hand. Here's what the gospel does. It gives you an unshakable identity, and it grounds you so deeply in that identity that it shapes everything about your life. You'll only begin to live out the gospel, and the gospel, as the gospel reminds you of who you are in Jesus, that you are broken but beautiful. If you were here last week, that you are nothing and yet something at the same time. You are fallen but also loved, empty and yet full of glory in Jesus. This past week, um, I drove down to Baton Rouge uh, where I'm from to preach at my grandfather's funeral. He was 95 years old when he passed away, and you know, at my parents' house the night before the funeral, we were all looking at these old pictures of Pawpaw. That's what we used to call him, Pawpaw. And uh, we read over these birthday cards that, and these letters, these notes that we had sent him, and my uncle collected all of this World War II memorabilia that he was going to keep, and, you know, stories were shared of all these wonderful memories. And then when we got to the funeral, even more stories were shared about his life as friends and family remembered him. Um, And then after the funeral, we basically had a big party at our house, uh, my parents' house, because it's South Louisiana, and you party anytime you get a chance to party, even at funerals. Um, But but listen, we were there, we shared more stories and more memories. But the irony was this right, I basically said goodbye to my Pawpaw six or seven years ago because we were remembering him, but for those last six or seven years, he didn't remember any of us, and he didn't even remember who he was, right? He he had suffered terrible dementia, and and he didn't ever get mean or, or nasty. He was just confused, and he was disoriented, and he was lost all the time. You know, and you know, he would just he would sit in his chair and he would just ask question after question after question after question. If I sat down next to him fi- for five minutes, he would ask me who I was at least 20 times. I mean, it was, he, he didn't know where he was or who he was. And it was painful to watch. I mean, we learned how to laugh about it a little bit because that's kind of all you can do. But he's asking these questions, what day is it? Who am I? What's my name? Who are you? Right? And you could see it that he was just grasping For any hook he could get into reality, right? Something that would orient him. He had lost his identity and it was completely disorienting. Verse 15, Paul wrote For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation the cross. Jesus came to break brokenness, he came to destroy destruction in the cross. He came to kill death in the cross. And He came to do it through His life and His death and His resurrection to make you a new creature, a new creation, to give you a new identity in Him. And listen, the moment we try to get beyond that, the moment we try to get beyond the cross, the moment we drift away from the cross, it has all the signs of spiritual dementia in our lives. Because you're forced to grasp for any hook That you can. Hoping to settle your identity and tell you who you are and tell you that you're important and that you're valuable and that you're lovable and that you're significant. And we start grasping for that identity in our performance or in our morality or in our giftedness or in our abilities or in our appearance or or in our successes and achievements in life. But just like dementia, as soon as you feel like you have grasped it, it vanishes. It vanishes. And it's gone. It's way too fragile to hold your identity. The gospel is for everyone, of course. It's how you come into Jesus' kingdom and receive an unshakable identity. But Paul is saying it's also the way you live in Jesus' kingdom, rooted and grounded in your identity in Jesus as this gospel works its way through your life and shapes your life. Okay, this all brings me to the last point, what the gospel does. Last point in the series on Galatians. Paul wrote in verse 14, "...but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." Which is a decent translation, but I don't think it quite carries the negative emphasis that Paul intends for it in the Greek. Because Paul was really saying in this verse, he's saying, "...I will absolutely never, ever boast in anything but the cross." what is Paul talking about when he's talking about boasting in the cross? Um, It's obviously pretty important to him. Um, A little over a week ago, I was in Mobile, Alabama, for our denomination's General Assembly, our annual meeting. And um, and one evening, providentially, Dr. Timothy Keller was preaching a sermon uh, from 1 Corinthians where Paul wrote in another place about boasting in the Lord and boasting in the cross. Um, And it was really helpful to me how he talked about this boasting because he was saying that it began as a ritual part of warfare. Um, And you can go back and you can read through your Old Testament and see this, right? You can see it all the way back in Exodus when… Pharaoh is rallying his troops, his soldiers, to go chase down the Israelites who had, left, uh, who had left Egypt, and he boasted them to get them excited to go charge forward. Or you think about how God whittled down Gideon's army in the book of Judges, and, and God tells us the reason that He did that was so that, that the people of Israel wouldn't boast in their strength, right? Boasting is is… How, that's how generals and leaders get their soldiers whipped up into a frenzy of excitement so that they'll go charging into battle, right? Because generals and leaders, they face a very real problem, right? How do I get these guys to run into and face their likely deaths, Right? And so they do it like this. They, they start talking about our swords are sharper, our spears are longer, our arms are stronger, all the, our chariots are faster, whatever it is, right? And everybody gets all excited, and they rush off into battle, right? Uh, Mel Gibson, his face painted blue and Braveheart, you know, he's shouting at his troops, and they, ah, they charge off into battle, right? Um, that's it. That's boasting. SEC football teams, right, if you follow any of them. This fall, they're going to put out these little YouTube trailers every week before a game, and they're going to be full of highlights and this pump-up music and get your fans cheering. They're getting excited. They're boasting before the next game, right? Um, the self-talk that you do when you're getting ready to uh, do th- give that big presentation to the board or whatever, right? It's boasting. It's whipping up the courage to go face hard obstacles. And listen, we have to do it. All of us are doing it right now. We have to boast in something. I mean, we've got to do it to face the hardness of life. Listen, we need, we need the cheers at our back, right? We need the applause in our ears. We need to hear that shout to charge that we can do it. So, you know, maybe we look for that applause from our spouse or maybe the hope of a spouse one day. You know, if I could just get his or her affirmation, that's what I need to face life, right? Or we look for it in the recognition of our gifts or our achievements. Um, We're so needy for these pats on the back, right? The applause, the praise, it lifts us up when we get it, and when we're denied it, it crushes us, and very often it leaves us bitter, right? We're desperate to be praised for our beauty. We're desperate to be praised for our abilities, or we're trying to get it through the approval maybe of a good moral life that's well lived, right? We want to be remembered. We want to know we're important, that we're valuable, that we're significant, that we're in fact lovable. We need the cheers and the applause and the approval. But here's the problem. It's got us so tied in anxious knots trying to get that approval and earn that applause. And even if you do get it for a moment, what's to say it's going to last? Right? We live, even when we get it, in the fear of losing that approval and that applause. And what, do you, what are you going to do when you do fail? Because you are going to fail. And what do you do when someone else's successes outdo yours? And what if the crowd turns on you? Because they will. The Apostle Paul Knew that he and you needed something to boast in. He knew that he and you, he and us needed to hear the applause and the approval because without it, we can't face life. And Paul was saying, I found something to boast in that will never and can never let me down in life, and that is the cross. So, how does that work? When Jesus cried, From the cross. It is finished. Do you know what that that meant that he cried that? It meant that everything you ever needed to know and be assured that you are completely and perfectly loved and accepted and approved of had been accomplished for you in Jesus' work. Jesus came and he lived the perfectly righteous life you could not live. Jesus came and He died the death you should have died. And all your sin and all your brokenness, it was credited to Him on that cross. And all His righteousness is now credited to you. What was the applause that Jesus received? Do you remember the scene in the Gospels? Um, Jesus, He's beginning His public ministry and He went to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. And the heavens, we're told, were ripped open. They were torn open, the Greek says. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. I mean, it's a picture of the Father just beaming in love over His Son and just doting over Him. And Jesus, the night before His crucifixion in John chapter 17, verse 23, He prayed this for us. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. I don't don't know if you heard that, that clearly enough. Because of Jesus' work for you, you are loved even as he was loved and is loved by his Father, even as. If you can get your heart and your mind wrapped around the staggering beauty of the Father's eternal, unchangeable, perfect love for His Son, the Father who beams in love over His Son, Jesus is saying, the Father loves you even as He loves me, His own Son. Not qualified, not diluted, not diminished in one degree for you. He's crazy about you, is what Jesus is saying. The heavens echo with his applause over you at this moment if you are in Jesus. And Paul says, listen, if you get that, that changes everything. And real quick, he gives us two very real examples of the way it changes us. And then I'm going to end with a little illustration. We'll be done. First, Paul says, if we get this, It's going to set us free. Verse 14, the end of verse 14, he says, By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, when my identity is in the love of God through what Jesus did for me, the world has lost its grip on me. Right? I don't get my identity there anymore. And therefore, my successes can never puff me up anymore but neither can my failures crush me. He's saying, get this, and you are free from all your neediness because you are free to live for others and not for their applause in your life. Second thing Paul wrote in verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. The gospel Paul wrote has a rule, and in Galatians chapter 2, Paul wrote that the gospel had a line That is, the gospel creates a trajectory. It creates an arc of beauty for us to trace out in our lives. This is incredibly unique, right? And let me tell you why. What we normally do in life when we see that we need to change or when something needs to be amended in our life or we need to grow in a certain way, what we do is we use fear, guilt, and shame to bring about that change. Here's how it works. You look at porn on your computer or you look at your… Uh, or, or you shout at your spouse or your kids when you've lost your temper, or you manipulate your boss by uh, gossiping about your coworkers. workers um, you, you start telling… Here, here's what you do. You start telling yourself how terrible you are, how wrong you are, how ashamed you should be, and what if somebody found out? You need to do better or else you'll get caught, or you'll be rejected or something like that. Do you see how what Paul is telling you is so, so very different from that? He's saying the gospel has this line, this arc for you to trace out. He's He's showing you the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of a God who loves his children, who sings over his children praises and beams over them in love. And Paul is saying... Let that be the arc you're tracing out in your life. Let that beauty shape you and compel you to change. Let this rule of a Savior who loves you this completely and this sacrificially shape your life in every direction. If we're ever going to find this freedom to be shaped by this beauty, we have to learn to boast in the cross. Okay, final illustration and we're done. You two, I've talked about that band before. It's one of, they're one of my favorite favorite bands, and they have this song called 40. Uh Some of you all might know it. it. The whole song is Psalm Forty, verses one and two. And so Bono, the lead singer, he sings sings the song. How long to sing this song? How long? How long? How long? How long to sing this song? You know, and it kind of echoes throughout the song. Uh, he sings, he set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm, many will see, many will see in fear. But in a live version that I have of that song, um, he went off this script, and it took me, and it's Bono doing his Bono thing, right? He's like half screaming, half singing. Uh, somehow it sounds good, but it's only he can do it, right? Um, but it took me forever to figure out what he was singing there because it's not included in any lyrics anywhere else but in this one live version where he's doing a concert in Paris. And this is what he's screaming and singing to the rhythm of the song. He's singing, nobody going to feel no pain, nobody going to cry someday. Nobody going to feel no pain, nobody going to cry someday. And what he's doing is he's singing about the day when God will make everything right in his broken world. A day when all pain and all sadness and all tears are going to be wiped away forever. But He's not just singing it. He's shouting it. He's screaming it to the applause of thousands, right? Why is He screaming and shouting that promise? Because we live in the how long. The world is broken and life is hard, and if we're going to face it, We've got to boast in something. We've got to shout something. Something has to be screamed. We have to hear the applause of heaven. You know, as a Christian, you have to have something to boast boast in in the midst of the how long. You could not possibly be loved, Paul is saying, any more than you are right now if you trust in Jesus and if you boast in His cross. The God of heaven and earth, He's shouting His applause over you He's made you a new creation, and one day, someday, you will see His love so clearly that it will shatter the last bit of the hardness in your heart, and you will be remade and brand new, and in that day, the whole world will be remade, and in that day, nobody going to feel no pain, and nobody going to cry someday. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word because it is full of good news to us. And we pray that you would take this word and that you would write it upon our hearts, that you would give us hope in the good news of the gospel, that you would teach us day in and day out what it means to turn from not only our sin but from our righteousness too, and to boast in nothing but the cross. Father, help us, help those of us in this room who are filled even this moment with doubts, help us to be reminded that the gospel is for people like us, for people who are broken, for people who are fallen, for people who are full of doubts and confusion. It is for people like us who are messy in their sin. We need this good news And we need to be changed by this good news. We ask that you would do this for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.